This is the audio version of the book titled, Choices, Living in Tomorrow's Yesterday. Written by, Segun Ogunsun Laid. This audio book is published in Nigeria by, Blooming Minds Hub Press, Nigeria. Website, bloomingmindshub.wixsite.com slash bloomingmindshub-1. This publication is protected by the copyright law of Nigeria. Subject to statutory exception and to the provision of relevant collective licensing agreement, no reproduction of any part of this book, whether electronic or manual, may take place without express written permission of Blooming Minds Hub Press. Choices Dedication, this book is dedicated to my mom, who taught me the importance of choices and how it determines the course of one's life. Introduction, today is yesterday's tomorrow. Today is tomorrow's yesterday. Those statements are not just mere playing on words. They are face-staring realities of life. The quality of your life is dependent on the quality of your choices. Your choice is a fundamental product of your perception of what life really is. Life will only return to you what you feed into it. We are fond of saying that the grass is greener on the other side. But in actual sense, the grass is only greener on the side where it is being watered. The same applies to your life. It is a product of your watering or feeding and all these are functions of the quality of your choices. Your choices today are dependent on whether you have come to realize that today was a tomorrow yesterday and that this same today will become a yesterday when tomorrow comes. There are very few things truer than the fact that the quality of our lives today is dependent on the kind of choices we made yesterday and the choices we are making now are building blocks for the kind of life we will live tomorrow. That's the simple message conveyed in the opening sentences of the introductory part of this book and the major theme that I will be expatiating on throughout this book. When you take a retrospective look at today as yesterday's tomorrow, it sobers you as you reflect on the various outcomes of the decisions and indecisions which have culminated into how life is presented to you today. Furthermore, when you take a perspective look at today as tomorrow's yesterday you will be more conscious and deliberate about your actions and inactions, decisions, and indecisions, because now you know that the quality of your tomorrow is inherent in those subtle choices. Someone said a year from now you'll wish you'd started today, but I will like to modify that by saying tomorrow, you will wish you had made that choice today. We have devised means of measuring time in our world but we have failed to realize that time itself is a unit of life. Life in its simplest form is time. This means anything that has the ability to waste your time will surely waste your life. That is why this book is centered on exposing to you the one major thing that determines the quality of your time and by extension, your life, choice. Choices present to us two major issues that need to be addressed on a daily basis as we go through life and how the quality of our lives is dependent on whether or not we successfully address them. The beauty of this whole thing is that these issues are all tied to the same thing, choice. These issues are, procrastination and burnout. The first chapter extensively deals with the concept of choice and how it relates to all the other topics of discourse in this book.
while subsequent chapters take a closer look at the major issues of discourse in this book. My candid advice as you dive into this wealth of knowledge is that you should approach each concept discussed with an open mind. You will need to learn, unlearn, or relearn some ideologies and concepts, but the truth is you won't be doing yourself any good if you still decide to hold on to certain preformed ideologies when it becomes expedient that they need to be dropped. I formally welcome you on board as you are about to start another defining moment of your life. Cheers. Segun Ogun Sun Laid. Chapter 1, Choice, If there is anything that is worth sharing about my journey through life, then it will be that I am who I am today because of the invaluable investments of various God-sent and ordained mentors and coaches, who gave me the opportunity to see life standing on their shoulder. As these great men and women are scattered all over the world from various walks of life. Some have been able to offer personal and physical mentoring and guidance while some gave me a glimpse into their heart from their various publications and writings. One of such great men is Dr. Miles Monroe, who according to Jack W. Hayford, is described as a pillar of strength in the midst of so much windblown confusion that is ripping apart various sectors of the church and the society at large. In his book, The Spirit of Leadership, he shared a wonderful story, a lion among sheep, and I will be sharing the same story here with due permission. This story is more or less the summary of what we are considering in this chapter and even in this book. There was a farmer who lived in a village in Harare in Zimbabwe who was also a herder of sheep. One day, he took his sheep out to pasture, and while they were grazing, he suddenly heard a strange noise coming from a patch of grass, which first sounded like a kitten. Led by his curiosity, the old shepherd went to see what the source of this insistent sound was, and to his surprise, he found a lone shivering lion cub, obviously separated from his family. His first thought was the danger he would be in if he stayed too close to the cub and his parents returned. So the old man quickly left the area and watched from a distance to see if the mother lion or the pack would return. However, after the sun began to set, and there was still no activity to secure the lion cub, the shepherd decided that, in his best judgment, and for the safety and survival of the lion cub, he would take him to his farmhouse and care for him. Over the next eight months, the shepherd hand-fed this cub with fresh milk and kept him warm, safe, and secure in the protective confines of the farmhouse. After the cub has grown into a playful, energetic ball of shiny muscle, he would take him out daily with the sheep to graze. The lion cub grew with the sheep and became a part of the herd. They accepted him as one of their own, and he acted like one of them. After 15 months had passed, the little cub had become an adolescent lion, but he acted, sounded, responded, and behaved just like one of the sheep. In essence, the lion had become a sheep by association. He had lost himself and become one of them. One hot day, four years later, the shepherd sat on a rock, taking refuge in the slight shade of a leafless tree. 
he watched over his flock as they waded into the quiet, flowing water of a river to drink. The lion who thought he was a sheep followed them into the water to drink. Suddenly, just across the river, there appeared out of the thick jungle bush a large beast that the lion cub had never seen before. The sheep panicked and, as if under the spell of some survival instinct, leaped out of the water and dashed towards the direction of the farm. They never stopped until they were all safely huddled behind the fence of the pen. Strangely, the lion cub, who was now a grown lion, was also huddled with them, stricken with fear. While the flock scrambled for the safety of the farm, the beast made a sound that seemed to shake the forest. When he lifted his head above the tall grass, the shepherd could see that he held in his blood-drenched mouth the lifeless body of a lamb from the flock. The man knew that danger has returned to his part of the forest. Seven days passed without further incident, and then, while the flock grazed, the young lion went down to the river to drink. As he bent over the water, he suddenly panicked and ran wildly towards the farmhouse for safety. The sheep did not run and wondered why he had, while the lion wondered why the sheep had not run since he had seen the beast again. After a while, the young lion went slowly back to the flock and then to the water to drink again. Once more, he saw the beast and froze in panic. It was his own reflection in the water. While he tried to understand what he was seeing, suddenly, the beast appeared out of the jungle again. The flock dashed with breakneck speed toward the farmhouse, but before the young lion could move, the beast stepped in the water toward him and made that deafening sound that filled the forest. For a moment, the young lion felt that his life was about to end. He realized that he saw not just one beast, but two one in the water and one before him. His head was spinning with confusion as the beast came within ten feet and growled at him face to face with frightening power in a way that seemed to say to him, try it, and come and follow me. As fear gripped the young lion, he decided to try to appease the beast and make the same sound. However, the only noise that came from his gaping jaws was the sound of a sheep. The beast responded with an even louder burst that seemed to say, try it again. After seven or eight attempts, the young lion suddenly heard himself make the same sound as the beast. He also felt stirrings in his body and feelings that he had never known before. It was as if he was experiencing a total transformation in mind, body, and spirit. Suddenly, there stood in the river two beasts growling at and to each other. Then the shepherd saw something he would never forget. As the beastly sounds filled the forest for miles around, the big beast stopped, turned his back on the young lion, and started toward the forest. Then he paused and looked at the young lion one more time and growled, as if to say, are you coming? The young lion knew what the gesture meant and suddenly realized that his day of decision has arrived the day he would have to choose whether to continue to live life as a sheep or to be the self he had just discovered. He knew that, to become his true self, he would have to give up the safe, secure, predictable, and simple life of the farm and enter the frightening, wild, untamed, unpredictable, and dangerous life of the jungle. 
it was a day to become true to himself and leave the false image of another life behind. It was an invitation to a sheep to become the king of the jungle. Most importantly, it was an invitation for the body of a lion to possess the spirit of a lion. After looking back and forth at the farm and the jungle a few times, the young lion turned his back on the farm and the sheep with whom he had lived for years, and he followed the beast into the forest to become who he always had been a lion king. There are three major principles that stood out from the story above that will form the central theme of this chapter. Firstly, choice is an expression of the willpower of man. It's not a question of if you can, but if you will. Although, the major figure in our story is an animal, a lion cub, but the truth remains that every one of us will come across times of decision like that every day of our lives. Life will always present before you options and there's no way you are going to pass through each day without having to make certain decisions or the other. Literally, your innate ability to choose will be tested and what will determine the quality of the life you will live is the kind of choice you make at those points of decision, and what informs those choices. Many people wish they could turn the hands of time. Many wish they could go back in time. Surprisingly, that desire is not because of any other thing than to just get a chance to undo certain actions and rethink certain choices they made. Just as I've said in the introduction, every action we take and every choice we make are valuable investments into the future. You should become deliberate about the kind of choices you make as they are the building blocks that will determine the kind of tomorrow you will get to see. You should not expect much surprises if you are deliberate about and dutifully keeping tabs on the quality of the choices you make. Don't forget that at the end of the day it is not going to be a function of if you can, rather if you will. Secondly, I will want us to learn from our case study that choice is all about how our perspective of today affects the kind of lives we'll live tomorrow. Choice is the product of your perspective of life. The kind of choice you make when presented with options in life reflects your perspective of life. That lion was faced with a very difficult choice. He had to choose whether he will continue his stay with the flock and continue enjoying everything that comes with it, free shelter, free feeding, friendship with flock, amongst others, even though that means he needs to give up his true self and die without a fulfillment of his purpose, or he is g. Going to give up all these certainties and forge ahead into the forest filled with a lot of risks and uncertainties even though that's the first step to the actualization of his true purpose. After what seemed like eternity, he made a choice. He chose to go the path of self-discovery and actualization of purpose. One might have wondered what could have informed that choice. The simple reason is that encounter with the older beast and his ability to also make the same forest-shaking sound led to a change in his perspective about life. For the first time in his life, he realized that there's something trapped in him that is absent in those sheep. Even though they have lived the first few years of his life together, he suddenly realized that he was not meant for that kind of life. So, all the thought of the comfort and security he is leaving behind cannot be compared to the thrill of the journey to self-actualization he is about to embark on. 
I want you to realize that what you choose whenever life presents options before you largely depends on what you could see as both the immediate and long-term effects of each of those choices in your life. The third principle from that story is that most life-changing choices are made out of the comfort zone. In my journey through life, I am yet to see major decisions that will lead to great transformation and make a mark in history being made from the comfort zone. I'm not a sadist and I don't have anything against enjoying the ambience and comfort that life offers, but I am a firm believer of the truth that self-denial precedes self-actualization. Excessive attachment to the comfort zone and the fear of unknown are two major factors that made many people settle for the average life and shut themselves from the wonderful potentials life has to offer. You can't choose to play safe all the time and desire to win big. Those that take the greatest risks, enjoy the greatest rewards. Comfort should not be the reason why you will refuse to make that decision that will lead to the discovery of purpose and the actualization of your true potential. The young lion has all the reasons in the world to choose comfort over the dangers of the thick forest, but he sided with the latter because that's the first step into full discovery of who he really is and the beginning of the journey to the throne for him. There's no way he will be crowned king of the jungle while he makes an abode with sheep. It is a slap on his true identity and he need to come to terms with that and let that reality inform the choice he will make at that hour of decision. This budding king of the jungle saw the opportunity and also saw the bait, he chose the opportunity at the expense of the bait. The question to you now is that will you do the same? Don't forget that every choice you make is a block in the edifice called tomorrow that you are building. What kind of architectural piece are you constructing? Tomorrow will tell. Chapter 2, Procrastination, Most Times, People Focus on the Action When Trying to Describe or Deal with Procrastination. You'll hear comments like she's too lazy, she procrastinates every time. There's nothing she's asked to do that she does as at when do. I remembered vividly an incident that happened at one of my friend's house, the ordeal was between my friend and her kid sister. It was both funny and surprising when out of what seems like a suppressed frustration she shouted at her sister who seemed carefree and largely unconcerned about whatever it is that her big sister is referring to. A particular part of their little drama that I can never forget sounded much like you don't seem to me like someone who'll achieve much, nobody procrastinates as much as you do and still expects notable success. Even miracles cost something. Gosh. That got me. Even miracles cost something. I don't need a soothsayer to tell me that this friend of mine has gotten to the climax of anger. She has had it up to her throat and she just had to let out the heat or else she might literally burst. The paradox of the situation here is that everybody procrastinates, W. L. Maybe not everybody, but even those that seems well over this menace will admit that it was not an innate ability. It was something they learned to overcome by conscious decision and discipline. If you take out time, like I did, to talk to these guys that seem to be gifted procrastinators you'll discover, just as I discovered, 
much to your surprise that procrastination has its root in something deeper than just the action. My little research led to the discovery of three vital pointers that we mostly overlook when trying to dissect this issue. But the truth be told, there's little to nothing to be achieved if we don't appropriately tackle this issue of procrastination from these pointers that are more or less the root cause. I'll be sharing them here as I believe an understanding of these silent and subtle bugs is the first step towards tackling the problem of procrastination. One of future fiction have you heard of some people being described as living in the future? How about those people we refer to as futuristic thinkers? One thing is common to both groups of people, their ideology and thinking patterns are way too advanced to find application in the present time. But the truth is, that judgment might be bias and relative. This is because what seems out of place, futuristic or impractical to you due to your exposure, experience, and knowledge might be commonplace to other people. The point I am trying to drive home from here is that procrastination most times, starts with the belief that the future is a time far in space. Don't fool yourself, the future you're dreaming of is happening somewhere else right now. That future that you believe is still far in space is what some other people live every day. I need to start off from this point because one of the shocking results of my little research about this vice is that procrastinators believe that there'll always be time in the future to do activities and tasks that should be done now. One of my all-time favorite quote is tomorrow is not your property. This quote summarizes everything. It summarizes the truth that procrastinators fail to tell themselves or fail to believe. Each time you procrastinate, what you are saying in essence is that there will always be time in the future to do what is required of you and most times, if not every time, you discover that that's a big, fat lie. The future does not come to us as a clean slate rather it comes as a task list. Every activity that should be done now but is delayed to the future will hinder the successful completion of another planned futuristic activity. So, if you fall into this category, it's high time you started planning your exit and do the needful. I will be sharing a secret on how this transition can be achieved before I close the curtains on this chapter. 2. The Start Syndrome Many at times, the thrills of starting off a project, an activity, an assignment, or a task may be quite overwhelming that adequate plans, physical, mental, and emotional, and appropriate buy-ins are not done. This has proved from research to be one of the major pointers to why certain activities or assignments are being procrastinated. Every activity, project, or assignment has embedded in it certain points or nodes that are stress triggers. These points are the dark tunnels where the possibility of continuing the activity is lowest. At this point, the natural response to the stimulus in most situations is to want to back off or delay the continuation of the project which is what we described as procrastination. Now, get this straight. No matter how long or how wide your planning is prior to the commencement of a project, an activity, or a task, the stress triggers described above are inevitable. The degree to which these triggers affect the successful completion of any task as planned or as directed may be relative to the nature of the task but these nodes are non-negotiable in any activity. 
The question that should come to mind now is that with the inevitability of these grey areas, how then do one stand a chance against them and not fall into the obvious trap of procrastination? The simple answer to that question is that adequate emotional and psychological buy-in into the activity prior to its commencement is highly essential. You must be ready to determine if the project will eventually worth all the investments of time, energy, and other resources prior to the commencement of the activity. You don't want to be like the proverbial slave that jump into a river he doesn't know its depth. It is said that you don't test the depth of the river with both legs. In the same vein, you must establish that deep connection with the task and always allow the reason why you started and the result that will be achieved to be the very source of strength for you when it seems as if the only option before you is procrastination. 3. Laziness I will definitely not be doing justice to this subject if I fail to talk about laziness. We cannot shy away from the fact that laziness also plays a major role in fueling procrastination. When I mention laziness, I don't mean complete aversion to work or being engaged in activities alone. Even though that is a major part of laziness, but it will surprise you that it is also very much possible to be busy doing nothing. One other attribute of lazy people is that they have an aversion for any activity that will require deep mental stretching and prefer to stay at the safe zone or commonly called comfort zone. These people tend to push and keep pushing activities that will stretch them mentally to a later date that might never surface. When you allow your mind to become accustomed to this evasive lifestyle when it comes to any form of mentally tasking activities, you will be shocked to discover that that will be transferred to even other physical activities as well. The mind has the ability to learn and adjust drastically to whatever you engage it with constantly. So, laziness as we have to come know it starts from the mind. When the mind, through constant conditioning, becomes unreceptive to tasks or activities that stretch it beyond its safe zone, you can almost always expect such people to be ardent procrastinators. Procrastination is the product of constant conditioning of the mind to become lazy. It has become clear and evident from the above analysis that procrastination has its roots in factors greater and deeper than the act itself. Now as we are drawing the curtains on this chapter, I will like to share certain principles that if understood and imbibed, will give you the necessary tools to overcome this vice that is eating deep into the fabrics of our society. Overcoming procrastination The only key or principle which is time-tested and proven to be effective in combating the menace of procrastination is the SMART principle. The proposition here is that every activity, task, project, or assignment must pass the SMART. Test before you commit yourself to it. This test exposes certain important characteristics of the project to be embarked onto you and after careful consideration of the result of this test, then the final decision whether to continue or not will now rest solely on each individual's discretion. S. MART is a principle that checks whether your task or project is specific, measurable, achievable, rugged, and time-bound. Activities that possess these five basic characters have been proved to have a higher probability of being pursued till completion. S. Specific, it is a popular saying that jack of all trades, 
is a master of none. As popular as the statement is, it is one of the major reasons why most people tend to procrastinate on certain activities. I have heard so many people try to make a case for multitasking and they end up giving a lot whole of reasons to back up their claims. I have nothing against multitasking, but if you critically examine those activities that are being combined, one of them must surely enjoy a greater deal of attention than the rest. This is because it is almost impossible for any human to multitask if we want to be literal with the meaning of multitasking. Multitasking simply means you simultaneously carry out more than one activity at the same time. This, in all honesty, is almost impossible. The best we can do, and have been doing as human, is to joggle between these activities. The only thing that makes it looks like we are really multitasking is the fluidity with which we transit back and forth from one activity to another. This level of fluidity, in most times, is a consequence of practice or better put, learning. As we learn more about these various activities, we develop faster and easier ways of doing them. The major issue here is that in the verge of multitasking, most times we combine far too unrelated tasks that require varying levels of mental and physical commitment from us. The moment fatigue sets in, and it does every time, or we face certain roadblocks, it becomes natural to sacrifice the more mentally tasking and physically demanding one for the easier. The task we finally bury or suspend might not be delivered as at when due and our productivity, if not credibility, becomes affected. This is the basis of procrastination. In essence, it is highly important that you ensue clear definition of the task before commencement. You must be clear about what you are being asked to do, the amount of time it will take, the level of mental contribution it demands, the resources available to carry out the task and the result of these activities. In cases where it becomes expedient to combine activities, ensure that there is some form of complementarity between these activities. They should require virtually the same level of commitment, both mentally and physically, and there should exist some form of relationship between them. This way, the successful completion of one will drive the completion of others. With this character always in check, you are sure to have what it takes to overcome procrastination. M. Measurable, another very important quality your task, assignment, or project must have before it can pass the S. MART test is measurability. This in simple terms means that these activities, no matter how simple or demanding they might be, must be broken down into milestones or checkpoints. This is highly important for two major reasons, one. It makes progress tracking easier when you are executing these tasks or projects. Nothing can be more frustrating than not able to track progress during the course of execution. You need to be able to constantly check how far you've gone from the start and how close you are to the end of the task. Two another importance of having measurable tasks is the psychological feeling of accomplishment and control needed to serve as boost and push for the completion of the tasks. The truth be told, everybody loves to see that their inputs into a particular thing is yielding commensurate results. 
This is a major highlight of this quality as you will remember that procrastination starts from the mind. So, if you can have the mind in the right frame, you limit the chances of procrastination. A. Achievable In one of my recent publications I talked about the reality sphere, the link is provided at the end of this book, where I extensively discussed how goal setting and achievement are a function of how much of it you have come to believe to be true. I will share an excerpt here, achievable goals are goals that have enough capacity of becoming transformed into reality. They are goals that empowers their custodians to surmount any challenge whatsoever they might encounter on the path to fulfillment of the said goals. The major reasons why our fantasies, in most cases, don't ever get the chance to materialize is because they are just that. Fantasies. Nothing more. They are just so outrageous that whenever we come back to our senses, and reality sets in, we always realize that most of those couple of wonderful imaginations and fantasies don't have a place in this material world. What this translates to is that they are outrightly unachievable, given the conditions of time and resources that reality provides. One way for your goals to become realities is if you will be able to follow them through thick and thin, ups and downs until they become realities. They must spur enough passion and determination in you for them to result to great successes. I will be expatiating more on that later on but the bottom line is that it's only the goals that have the achievability quality that will spur such an amount of resilience and determination from you. As a needful digression, I have been stressing the fact that you have a lot of work to do in transforming your fantasies to defined goals and the goals in turn to great successes, but you need to realize that this transformation of your goals to success is not solely dependent on your actions or I. Actions. As a matter of fact, there is little or nothing that can be done without the divine input from God. I have dedicated some chapters of this book to cover this extensively. The point I'm only trying to pass across to you is that your goal needs the third fundamental quality, which is achievability, for it to guarantee and result in a wonderful success story. What then are achievable goals? What are the things or factors that makes goals achievable? Achievable goals are goals that set within your reality sphere. Your reality sphere is your broad spectrum of possibility. It is the combination of those things that you believe to be possible. Though it is an indisputable fact that the spiritual controls the physical, you can check my book, The Silent Portal for a great insight on that, but I will like to state here that how much of the spiritual you can translate to the physical depends largely on your reality sphere. The quality of achievability is an essential ingredient that your tasks must contain if they will ever scale the traps of procrastination that's always lurking subtly around. This is the stage where you need to establish the required emotional and psychological connection to the tasks and commitment to its fulfillment. Does this activity really worth your time and effort? What will be the impact of the outcome of the activity on you both physically and psychologically? Is this task really viable? Or is it a building a castle in the air kind of project? Are there enough resources at my disposal to successfully carry out this task? Resources such as man, that is, people, machines, that is, 
availability of required technologies, methods, that is, understanding of the required expertise to carry out the task, and money, that is availability of required funding to take care of the cost implication of the tasks. R. Rugged, what is the worst case scenario, WCS? What might be affected if this task is not completed as at when due? If there is any time to plan for the worst and hope for the best it is definitely at this stage. It is not pessimism if you decide to consider various factors that may not support the successful completion of the task right before it starts. It will be best if we become less idealistic and more realistic in our approach to life in general. Life is not always predictable, if you are an ardent follower of weather forecast then you will understand better. There's no crime in simulating various what-if scenarios to test the strength and the limits of the task. What if human resources become inadequate? What if funding is delayed? What if there's a natural occurrence beyond your control? The major thing about the rugged quality is that it tests how far you can stretch the project or task before it snaps. Ask yourself what is the worst thing that can happen while working on this assignment or activity that might leave you with no other option than to procrastinate its completion. When you know this you are better prepared for any emergencies that might come up within the scope of your research. You should never accept the adage that says when we get to the bridge, we will cross it when it comes to overcoming procrastination. You need to make sure that you have plans on how to go through that phase by the side now. There will be far too many circumstances that you may not be able to determine or control, and what sense is there in it if you can't plan for the ones you have identified prior to the start of the activity. T. Time bound. The final quality that your task must possess to pass the SMART. Test is that it must have a timeline. I have mentioned it at the introductory part of this book that your life may not be different than how you treat your time. The same principle applies to your tasks or assignment. When an activity is timed or has a timeline attached to it, then naturally, a sense of urgency is created. It naturally keeps you on your toes and the amount of devotion and dedication to its completion increases. But I know there are some of you that will like to argue that fact. This is because even when tasks or activities are timed, some people still tend to procrastinate. The best explanation for that is that such activities may also lack one or two of these smart qualities and as such exposes such activities to procrastination. That is the point I want to emphasize here. These smart qualities are non-negotiable if you want to drastically reduce the chances that your tasks will be procrastinated. The simple logic here is that your activity cannot be said to have passed this test or said to be smart enough until all these five qualities are embedded in it. Now you have seen that a careful analysis of your activity using the SMART principle not only arm you with the required information and factual premises upon which you'll base your judgment whether a project or assignment is worth your time or not, but also serves a tool that will drastically help to curb the menace of procrastination that has been threatening our producti. VD as a people and as a society. Note that this does not totally eradicate uncertainties that might serve as fuel for procrastination as the project progresses, 
but now you are better prepared to face head-on any uncertainty, both the ones planned for and the ones you didn't. Summarily, you've seen that procrastination has its root in three major factors, the future fiction, the start syndrome and laziness. What this book seeks to do is to expose them to you. It is required of you to sincerely locate where you are in the maze and make adequate amends. The only time this book will be said to have achieved its primary goal is when you can boldly beat your chest that you have successfully mastered the art of dealing with procrastination the right way, and that you can now see an appreciable increase in your productivity. Chapter 3, Burnout, The Only Person You Should Strive To Be Better Than, is the person you were yesterday, and even then, take it a step at a time. One thing that the world we live in nowadays is unconsciously teaching us is that we have failed if we don't get every facet of our lives fixed, every time. The naked truth, well truth is actually not naked, is that nobody has, and nobody will ever, get every part of their lives fixed every time. I'm not building a case for laziness, my friends know how much I hate it and you may probably have been getting a glimpse of that by now too, but I'm certainly not building a case for excessive mental stress either. One of the things that makes life interesting is the presence of those uncertainties. They add a taste of dynamism to life. They are the source of the adventures we enjoy in life. Imagine how boring and monotonous life will get when everything can be predicted with a bullseye accuracy. Unfortunately, that's the kind of life that new media is defining for us. In the verge of having their lives under control many people are at the risk of mental breakdown that I call burnout. It has now deteriorated to a case of getting your life together because you want to prove a point and not largely because you want to really improve. I remember vividly watching a football match with some friends and at the 82nd minute into the match the scoreline was 3-0. The home team was leading and was at a comfortable position of winning the match. Every one of us, including my friend that was a die-hard fan of the visiting team had already given up on the hope of any comeback. Then we started building cases for this visiting team attributing their poor performance to the absence of their key players and the mental effect of having one of their players sent off at the 23rd minute into the first half of the game. Much to our surprise, the two goals that came in quick succession, the first at the 84th and the second at the 87th minute, left us with no choice than to rethink our positions and judgment about the game. I could see the light of hope suddenly flooding my friend's face again and he seemed to have mysteriously found his voice that he has lost ever since the third goal came in for the home team at the 70th minute. Now everybody became virtual managers giving tactics and strategies on how to outweet the home team right from the living room where we were watching the match. I wondered how on earth we thought they will hear us right there at the stadium not to even talk of considering our suggestions all the way in Spain but at least we were enjoying playing the manager role in our heads. The final game changer came at the 89th minute when a dangerous tackle by one of the defenders of the home team brought down one of the strikers of the visiting team right inside the 18-yard box. What they dreaded the most was what happened, 
the referee awarded a penalty. That equalizer at the 90th minute was the last piece in the puzzle of strength for the team who was on the losing side some couple of minutes before. They entered the added four minutes of the match with the kind of determination they didn't show since the commencement of the game and went on to win the game. The final score after the referee blew the whistle at the 94th minute was 3-4. The visitors had won the match. Apart from just coming back from three goals down to winning the match, certain facts are worth noting, I they were playing away from home. They had lost four consecutive away matches prior to that match and so most people didn't expect much from them. Even my friend who happens to be a die-hard fan of the team expected a draw at best. Two they practically played 10 men to 11. One of their defenders was sent off the match after a dangerous tackle he made on the opponent was found offensive by the referee who awarded a penalty which gave the home team their opening goal at the 23rd minute. 3. Most of their key players were placed on reserve for the game because of a big game they have over the weekend. So the coach used what footballers call Team B so as to avoid any injury case for his first grade team. These were some of the things that worked, or were supposed to work, against this team and most people didn't give them a chance of winning at all. Even the die-hard fans of the football club expected a draw at best. The result of that game was not just a surprise and a shock but it also confirms the fact that the beauty of life lies in its dynamism. If they had lost like we all expected, it would have been normal, no special feelings or emotions attached. But that win was a feat that was described as unbelievable. In the same vein, trying to get your life fixed and under control every time is a task that will cost more than you will be ready to pay to achieve if possible at all. Now, don't get me wrong here. Like I said earlier, I don't encourage laziness or disorganization. In fact, we can't last a couple of days as friends if that's the kind of personality that you have. It's either I bore you with my plans and strategies or you distract me with your carefree lifestyle. Either way, we can't last long. What I'm advocating for is that rather than trying to get the whole chunk of your life in one piece which will lead to burnout, why not break your life down into measurable milestones and work towards achieving the goals of each milestone? It is natural to assess ourselves critically at times and discover that we are living far below the standards we set for ourselves. Even the efficiency of the best machines in the world drops as they are being used. What I'm saying in essence is that instead of looking at yourself at those times when you're at your worst, or is supposed to be, and decide to sum up your life based on the result of that self-assessment, it is best you enumerate all those areas that need immediate attention and device a strategy of f attending to them, one at a time. If there is anything you need to realize, it is that everyone is a work in progress and because of that nobody can claim perfection. We all have a part of our lives that we need to deal with, certain weaknesses that we need to work on and other areas of our lives that we are struggling with. This means the self-evaluation or self-assessment that is done should be followed with adequate plans for self-development. When you evaluate yourself critically and discover certain areas of weakness then you need to set up plans on how to deal with them one at a time. 
A constant reminder during this process is that the weaknesses you discover are only a reminder of the fact you are human. You are human and you have certain limits. Those weaknesses don't mean more than that. As long as you are sincere enough with yourself in identifying them, that is a giant step towards overcoming them. In fact the essence of our lives as human is to turn our weaknesses as much as possible into areas of strength. A very good illustration will be if after the self-evaluation you discover that one of the areas of weakness that is giving you great concern is poor time management, showing up late at meetings, not meeting deadlines, etc. Instead of allowing the reality of that weakness to trick you into believing or accepting that it can't be changed or improved on, just tell yourself that this is a fundamental problem that if approached in the right way can be corrected. The best way to approach this challenge is to set up a task for yourself that you will be that you must show up early enough or at worst at the nick of time at the next 10 meetings that you will be having. The task might include plans such as setting out earlier than usual for meeting, keeping a to-do list to keep tabs on your schedules and maybe adding an hour cushion, that is if you were supposed to have a meeting for say 10 am, it will reflect in your to-do as 9 am, to every appointment's th. At you have from then henceforth. For each of the times when you are able to meet up with your goal, make sure you celebrate yourself. It is a great mind booster and gives the mental push to continue with your goal. This does not necessarily have to be any expensive venture, a day break from your diet plan, an extra hour with the TV, a little shopping or any other light gestures will suffice. The more you do that, the more you will discover that over time that area of weakness would have become an area of strength. You would have grown to the extent of having great mastery on time management and will be in the position of counseling other people that might be having that challenge. People will look at you then with a lot of admiration and respect and they will not know you have once struggled with that challenge just like them unless you tell them. Many people suffer burnout because they grew too hard on themselves to the point of breakage. They tried to do more than they are wired to. I have said it earlier and I'm still reiterating it, we are human and there are limits to what we can do per time. Even though this limit is not cast in stone, it can be expanded, but even at that, there is still a limit to how far you can expand your limit. Trying to go beyond these limits is exposing yourselves to the risk of burnout. You can't be everything to everybody no matter how hard you try. Trying to be everything to everybody means that you are ready to lose who you truly are and at the end of the day you will realize that you are still not everything to everybody. The best thing is to be yourself and present that image to everybody. Those that are meant to be in your life will appreciate that offer and those that feel threatened by that may not actually not supposed to be there in the first place. The caution here is that you must make sure you are the best version of yourself. I have heard people who have character issues say I can't change for anybody, I love me that is wrong. The only time you will be doing yourself a whole lot of good is when what you are offering is the best and nothing but the best. This is exactly what this chapter is meant to expose to you and you consciously decide to apply the various pieces of advice here, 
you stand a better chance of overcoming what most people deal with on daily basis with little success, burnout. Final words, without any shadow of doubt, if you have read this book to this point then you would have seen the great power that lies in choices and decision making. You would have seen the various beneath-the-surface truths about some of the major vices we encounter on a daily basis which are in a way a function of our choice. But as I draw the curtain I just want to leave you with the thought that the only way to get the best out of this book is to learn to harmonize every single lesson you've learned in this book. Each of the principles I have explained in this book cannot be enjoyed as a standalone concept, but you must be ready to combine every lesson learned into a complete whole. That is the only time you can confidently beat your chest that you have a mastery of the truths I have exposed in this publication. I wish you the very best as you continue on your journey of self-development and I pray that you'll experience self-actualization and fulfillment. I also pray for you that any weakness that this book has exposed in you will be dealt with the right way and you will be better than you were before you came in contact with this book. See you at the top. About the author, Segun Ogun Sunlaid, is a self-discovery and productivity coach, whose passion for guiding individuals through the not-so-popular, but time-tested steps and principles, to operating at their highest potential and delivering maximum results has earned him a reputation, as an invaluable gift to the world where averageism and glorified mediocrity has replaced maximum productivity and self-discovery, acceptance and actualization. He has a bachelor's degree, honors, in biochemistry from Obafemi Awolowo University and also badged a certificate in business management, diagnosing the financial health of a business, from Macquarie Graduate School of Management. He is the facilitator of the Echoes from the Whistling Pine podcast and he is currently running two career coaching and self-actualization programs tagged Diet Trademark and Explore Trademark programs. He is the visionary of True Worship's ambassadors and the convener of the annual RAIN concert. You can send in your comments, observations, questions and suggestions to him via the following channels, phone, plus 234811. 030-5511 or plus 234816-347-4564. Email, segun.ogunsunlate at gmail.com. icon at gmail.com. Bloomingminds18 at gmail.com. Instagram, segun underscore ogunsunlate. Facebook, segun ogunsunlate. LinkedIn, www.linkedin.com slash in slash segun hyphen ogunsunlaid hyphen 87969410 Anchor, anchor.fm slash segun hyphen ogunsunlaid Website, bloomingmindshub.wixite.com slash bloomingmindshub hyphen 1 segunogunsunlaid.wordpress.com